at Jared. We know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello. Happy uh, we won a game against the top 25 RPI team uh, week. Week was that high? I think they were. I think they were like, I thought I said they were like 22 or something crazy. That's weird. Like, one of those like weird teams that's way higher in RPI than they than they should have been. Um, but they're still like not a bad team. Uh, they had a better record than we did going in. Yeah, um, maybe our best win because because uh, <laughs> Miami's kind of had a, a rough stretch and Pitt has fallen off a cliff. Okay. So yeah, maybe our best wins at its Wake Forest at home. That's comforting. <laughs> Georgetown's trying to fix one of our worst losses by blowing out Creighton tonight. Yeah, but Creighton's like yeah, a whole mess now. Yeah, so even after the loss, they were 22, now they're 25. Weird. Or they're, I don't know when that re-rank happened. But either way, they're, they, they are currently a top 25 RPI team. Another uh, basketball happening tonight was uh, Florida State getting blown out by Georgia Tech. I, uh, I wish that hadn't happened tonight and they could have saved, uh, saved that effort up for Saturday. Yeah, that's a thing. Um, the ACC is just like... Bizarre. It's, it's, like, it's, it's as it's as deep as I think we thought, but it's just like not the like everything's it's not kind as of top heavy. It's not as top heavy, and everything's kind of thrown about. Right. Like there, there is there is one assured win on your schedule, and it's probably Boston College. And even then, it's not as assured as it was in past years. As as we know, as we know. <laughs> I uh, I think like you know when the season started, you and I were talking about the old Big East and how those teams really used to kind of massacre each other and it, it didn't really do them any favors. I feel like, unfortunately, this ACC might be similar in that it's impossible to really survive this grind unscathed and that's going to hurt the ACC's chances come like deep into the tournament when they just can't really... They just don't have the gas anymore. That's possible. It, it also like it, it makes it very hard to project what the the tournament outlook will look like. I still think the ACC probably gets like eight-ish teams in, um, but it could go either way where it's like, oh, the ACC wasn't exactly as good because, you know, look at Duke, look at whomever else. Um, but at the same time, it could the bubble might be so weak that the ACC just gets a lot of benefit of the doubt. Um, so we'll see how that shakes out. Uh, luckily, like, while Duke has been down, like Louisville, it's really good. Um, a couple other teams have, like, like Florida State tonight, notwithstanding, has looked great. Um, so... It's uh, not quite the ACC we thought we were getting, but it's still, like, I, I would struggle to say there's a better conference, um, even if, and, and I still, like, I find it hard to believe that Duke, once K comes back, and once all their injury issues settle down, like, I don't know they're going to be the team that we thought they would, but I still, like, struggle to think that they won't emerge come March. Like, there's just so much talent there, and, and almost, I, I think... Uh, Someone in my office today was comparing them to that Kentucky team, uh, the the Harrison brothers, and uh, the team before the one that went to the that that uh, lost to Duke in the national championship or right. lost to Wisconsin in the Final Four, uh, that went to the national championship and lost to UConn. Where like that team didn't really mesh all year, and then 
their talent just kind of won out in the tournament and they made a title run and, uh, um, you know, lost to UConn in the end because UConn had a transcendent player. But um, th- this dude team almost like almost feels kind of like that just in terms of like having all the freshman talent, uh, but still not really clicking this deep into the season. I buy it. Um, I guess like looking over the ACC standings right now, I just pulled them up. Um, you said eight-ish teams. Um, I'm trying to look. I, I think you're right there. I think that the 11-12 talk was kind of insane earlier in the year. I think you can, I think you could put in North Carolina, Florida State, Virginia, Notre Dame, Louisville, for sure. I think that's five assured, completely locked-in teams already. Um, yep. I think Virginia Tech and Duke are probably like right on that next line. Um, and then after that, that's where things get kind of iffy. Yeah, I mean, it's it's funny because like I think the only team that I would totally write off is Boston College. Like Clemson and Pitt are in bit in big holes. I think Clemson's probably close. Um, I still think this Pitt away. team. Yeah. And Pitt, like, they're just in a big hole record-wise. I still think they could go on, like, a run. I think they're good enough where they could go on a, a little bit of a run. But that's me saying this after they lost by 55 points to Louisville, uh, a team that doesn't exactly, like, torch, like light up the scoreboards, and they scored 106 uh, last night. So it's um, – those teams are in trouble. NC State, like, looked like they were in trouble, and then uh, they went nuts against Duke the other night. Um, Wake, you know, their RPI looked really good, even if the record's kind of subpar. Um, Syracuse, we, you know, are well, well, you know, we understand what's going on with Syracuse. Uh, Georgia Tech is like right there with where SU is. Um, they've played probably above where people thought, especially because I don't think many of us were in love with Pastner, um, coming in. He's probably doing his like best coaching job. I think we talked about this last week too, but I think he's probably done his best coaching job to this point. Uh, year one or Georgia Tech team that was probably projected to finish what, like 13th, 14th in the conference. Um, Miami, I, I still think they could bounce back like that. They've been a pretty good team for a couple of years, and they have some good players. So, I, I think you have a lot of teams that are kind of bubbling under. And and honestly, like the the projection for Syracuse within the conference um, is not out as bad as it probably feels. The problem is that the non conference is just such a, a disaster for SE right now. Um, it needs to really finish strong um, t- and pick up some marquee wins. And, and those are there are those opportunities. Uh, Beating Wake is nice at home. Uh, the game, you know, it was fun. I enjoyed seeing the win. It didn't exactly give me, like, the utmost confidence. Like, oh, we beat Wake by, what, like, uh, a, couple, a couple baskets. Now we're going to go out and beat Florida State this weekend. Like, I don't, I'm not ready to make that leap. But we'll see. I mean, if they do, then then we have something to talk about, I think. I think that would be a, a nice a nice one to get going here. Oh, if, if SU was able to beat Florida State, then suddenly we're hanging around, you know, I mean, we're already in the top half of the conference. I feel like we'd be hanging around at, like, 6-7 spot. And, and then then you could maybe talk yourself. Because, I mean, e- even the most optimistic projections that, that we've kind of tossed out there have, haven't really seen us winning that game and also haven't really seen us picking up, the, like, the marquee win we need. Now, Florida State did just get blown out by Georgia Tech, so, you know, maybe they're starting to get exposed for something that they were the whole time. We just didn't see it. Um, but yeah, I, I do think Syracuse right now is on the outside looking in. I think Wake is there with them. Uh, NC State, same deal. Um, but yeah, I, I think that Georgia Tech is about as close as you're going to get, despite the similar record to SU right now. Um, same with 
the same thing looking at Wake, I'd say, like, if you're going to rank those teams as far as, like, ACC bubble teams, I think it's Georgia Tech, Syracuse, NC State, Wake, probably, in that order. Um, yeah, it's, it, it, I mean, it's very jumbled. Yeah, it's very jumbled, and I think, you know what, e- even looking, like, further down the list, like, Miami's not completely out, and they have a better record than, than the others in that pile. Um, like you said, Pitt's not necessarily out. I think Clemson and Boston College are... Are, are pretty much finished, but um, yeah, everybody else still has a, has a puncher's chance. And I mean, the ACC tournament is, is going to be another bloodbath this year, and it's the type of thing where a- anyone from probably Miami on up on that list could could go on a run that that puts them into the tournament. Yeah, I will say, looking at the schedule, I think things actually shake out fairly positively for Syracuse in terms of home and away splits, like mm-hmm. Florida State, the toughest games we have left, Florida State, Virginia, um, we have two against Louisville, one, one's obviously at home, Duke, all at home. Um, on the road, the only like really good team we play on the road is Louisville, um, and that's at the end of the year, and we'll have a really good idea, of where, we'll have a much better idea, at least, of where we stand heading into that, that's on February 26th, our second last game. Um, so, if Syracuse wants to keep on being, you know, a really solid dome team, which I'm not going to totally buy into because we did see them get run off the floor by St. John's at the dome um, and lose to Georgetown at the dome. Uh, but let's say, um, you know, Syracuse continues to play well there. Uh, then, you know, things are kind of situated well. The problem is I, I still think you need to probably pick up, what, like two of the Florida State, Louisville, Trombo, Duke, Virginia. Uh, like, I think you need at least two of those. I think you need three if only because I feel like Duke is going to do the value of a Duke win is going to keep decreasing as long as Coach K's out. Yeah, I mean, even last year though, I think that Duke win looked a lot better. Even when like Duke was probably about what they are now. I mean, they're probably a little more dysfunctional this year. I think they were just not as talented last year, and they were not a great place when we beat them. And I think that win ended up counting for a lot more by the time the season ended. Right. Also, on the um, yeah, and and I think a win over Duke is always going to look pretty good. Um, even, like, out of context, I think people just appreciate that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, two or three of the Florida State, UVA, Louisville, Louisville, Duke thing. And then you have to really, you know, you have to, to clean up in the at NC State, at Clemson, at Pitt, at Georgia Tech, first Georgia Tech. Um, the problem is that's four road games, and the road, like, it doesn't seem to matter who we play on the road. It's just a bad, bad news for Syracuse. Yeah, and I think that that's going to be like you were saying the kind of differentiator. Like if we can if we can figure out a way to win some road games, then then we've got some life. Otherwise, this is going to be a kind of awkward march toward an inevitable end. Um, yeah, I, I hope we see a little bit more of what we saw against Wake, and that kind of is a nice segue to to get into the game itself. Um, Dan, there were a lot of people that that played really well. Um, three in particular. Um, this will probably be known as the Andrew White game, but I don't think Andrew White could have necessarily done it without really quality efforts from uh, Tyler Lydon, who was three for six from three, um, seemed to play really well on both ends, crashed the boards. Um, and then Torian Thompson, who, while he's still a defensive liability in many ways, um, he's found ways to minimize where possible those issues while maximizing what he's doing on the offensive end. Um, and for him, that involves seven for 10 shooting, uh, from the floor, as well as four for seven from the free throw line. Not a great percentage from the free throw line, but uh, the fact that he was still able to get there, pick up some fouls on uh, Wake Forest players, um, all around 
I felt like those three uh, were the catalyst and the only guys you could really count on. I don't know how sustainable it is to just really bank on those guys alone, though. Yeah, I think you, I will say the the bright spot in terms of you know having those three blow up is we we know Battle can have a nice team. He probably had his worst game in a while against Wake, um, but he's been coming on pretty strong. And Dylan, I mean, he's very up and down, but uh, I you know I think Dylan will give you a solid like twelve fifteen point effort here and there. Um, he's you know ha- Howard. Um, I have no idea. I'm not banking anything with Howard and and Roberson is just kind of who he is at this point. Oh, God. Um, yeah, <laughs> the most I mean, I think, and least efficient he's ever been. Five points uh, in seven minutes, but also four personal fouls in seven minutes. Yeah, it's he's just like it's so funny because like one game he'll play thirty five minutes and look really good, and then another game like Beheim just like now nah, we're we're okay. <laughs> well, and Take I mean I guess part of part of that is that Coleman's back back at live, which I guess maybe kind of plays into the whole like he was actually injured, like because he's. He's back in involved here, and and it seems like Bayham's willing to at least get you know ten fifteen minutes out of him, which is fine. I think really that probably helps the matter. Not really doing. I think he was that he wasn't that bad defensively in his wake, though. Especially, no, I think a lot of it's in matchups. Right, it's gonna be matchups. Um, I mean, it's sort of like the stat sheet. No, as far as the the, deep, the defensive end, where you know you can't always pick up when somebody rotates well in the zone, or when someone just clogs the lane and is able to force you know shots on the outside. Like those are the types of things that Coleman's always done fairly well. And the type of thing that he can do well here too, um, but at the same time, you, know, you, you look at this bench, or you look at you look at everybody outside of the, those main three, um, and they combine for twenty-one points. I mean, th- th- that's kind of where the concern comes in. That if you have eight players on the floor, you know, five of them should probably count for more than twenty-one combined points. Yeah, and obviously Thompson, like our games where he has this kind of outing where he stores eighteen points. And there are games where he's played like two minutes, so it's not like, you know, we're getting a solid, consistent twenty to thirty minutes a game from him, um, because Bayheim still doesn't quite know where he is, and he is like, I'm very bullish on Thompson, and I think he's going to be. A, I, I'm I'm actually super optimistic about him going forward. I think he's going to be a really good player here. Um, he is so lost on defense, and Space yeah, space. it's he's just doesn't. And it's not like I'm not bashing or anything. It takes a while, especially for people playing on the back of the zone, like, to, to get it. But he's, like, he is very much a freshman on defense. Um, but offensively, he's, he's, he's super exciting. Um, he he almost, like, I was trying to think of a comparison. He he's plays a little bit like Jeremy Grant, but he's way more fluid. Like, he he's way more natural with the ball. Um, probably less, like, powerful and explosive. But he has a real, I mean, solid, solid mid-range jumper. Um, I'm really excited to see him develop on that end. I, I, he has the tools to be a good defensive player in the zone. Uh, I assume next year he'll be a, a, take a real step forward there. And, I mean, if Syracuse can somehow hang on to the, tr- the trio of Battle, Leiden, and Thompson, I think next year could be a lot of fun. Um, Leiden is obviously the most likely to leave, and he had another nice game. He, he He's hit some big shots the last couple weeks. Uh, just He's kind of becoming... Like, he's never going to be a guy where you can just, like, put the ball in his hands and he'll just make a play. But if he's open and you need a big shot, like, he is not – it's not like he's uh, going to back down from taking it or making it. Um, you decide to have him a little bit of room and, and hope that you find him in the right situation as a trailer or something. But he had some huge shots down the stretch in his way. Oh, yeah. He did. I think White, in particular, um, kind of really sealed the deal for us. Uh, one thing I wanted to point out, and it wasn't really, like, something folks were talking about after the game, was how foul trouble impacted uh, what Wake was doing. 
um, how three-pointers weren't falling for them. And they're actually, I felt like they were an average team. From three, it ends up they were probably one of the better 25 to 30 teams in the country going into that game. Um, and it was nice to see the zone once again kind of shut that down. Um, you know, Wake is 0-5 after all against Syracuse all time. A stat I pointed out the other day. It's weird because we only face them once a year. So I I don't know when they finally uh, cracked that uh, that code on us. I know the, the most games against us without a win um, is, well, for current D1 teams is Siena with eight losses. So Wake is knocking on the door there. It's weird that we it's weird that we didn't play them more before the ACC, like in tournaments or like in whatever. It's not private school, like, like private school. Like they're a school that you know was good. It, at point. Was yeah, they were quite good. I mean, they have you know two. That's why we didn't play them there? <laughs> well, maybe, but it, it's it. it's weird that we didn't just randomly get thrown into like a couple like you know Maui Invitationals with them or whatever other random tournament with them. Um, because, like, I, most other schools, like, we've played at least recently, like, I feel like most big-name programs we've played in the last 10 years at, at some point. You know, there are a couple that are missing, but um, it is weird that, like, we're only, we've only played Wake five times ever. Yeah. That's bizarre. Four of them were in ACC and, play. Yeah, four of them are as conference opponents. What was the other one? When, uh, when was that? Preseason NIT in 01. Okay, so, yeah, so it's weird that, like, there's, I mean, I guess there are, there are more of those, like, showcases now than there were, but... Right. It's bizarre. It's not like, you know, the, the preseason IT isn't new. The Maui Invitational isn't new. So um, that, that is very, that's quite strange. Well, but. I do feel like we, I mean, there are more preseason tournaments, things like that, but I feel like Bayheim's strategy toward those has definitely shifted in recent years. While, like, we used to only do preseason, like, tournaments if it was the preseason NIT, because then we wouldn't leave New York State. We'd get some showcase time at that Square Garden. Like, there was definitely, I feel like, a different line of thinking for Beheim to it then versus now where he's just like yeah whatever like let's just do like the the round robin of like the the three or four big ones we'll play in all the big venues and all the big stages like once every four or five years and and you know we'll we'll play on the road we'll I mean and you know we everyone likes to forget this now after all the jokes about you know Beheim avoiding leaving New York State and leaving home and all this stuff but really until about like five to six years ago this wasn't a thing like, we didn't really leave home that much, even if we were, even if we did, it still wasn't as much as a lot of other teams. Um, and, I mean, we just kind of got caught up in the joke, and, because it's not that we never left, but yeah, like, compared to a lot of other teams, or at least in the big scheme of things, we weren't ones to necessarily challenge ourselves as much in the non-conference, and now I'd say we're challenging ourselves maybe a little too much, but at the same time, you know, it's a double-edged sword. This year those challenges might hurt us, even if we didn't really choose the Wisconsin challenge. Um, while last year, those challenges, um, and one that we kind of willingly walked into against UConn, against Texas A&M, you know, those helped us out. So I, I, th- I think it's a balance. I think the preseason tournaments are here to stay, so it's not something we should avoid as a top program. But um, yeah, as, as we were kind of getting back to the original point, definitely interesting that, that, that us and Wake never really, uh, never really crossed before the last decade and a half. Yeah, and going into this year, like we had a lot of like pretty big games, but uh, a lot of those teams ended up not actually being that good and still beat us, and those were games that we expected to win. Like, outside, like Wisconsin was probably the one that people had major doubts about, and obviously they, they blew us out. But uh, like South Carolina, we thought, you know, would maybe be decent, and they are, but we 
we expected to beat that team. We expected to beat UConn and Georgetown, but we also thought that UConn and Georgetown would be better than they are, at least UConn. Um, Georgetown is kind of weird. And then obviously St. John's, we did not have any expectation of losing to again, and uh, it happened. So um, it was funny compared to last year where, you know, people didn't think we were going to make the tournament at all, and it was if only by the grace of the uh, trip to uh, Atlantis that we did because we picked up those big wins. We just need to play every single game on an island. Yes, I mean, I'm fine with that. Uh, except, well... Well, not Manhattan. Or Brooklyn, um, which is Long Island. Yeah, so not not the island on which I live <laughs> or the one next to it. Um, but other islands but, uh, work. But, but, but a former island, former or current island nation. That's or, fine. Or, or an aircraft carrier. <laughs> or an aircraft carrier. And just pack in the zone because no one's going to hit a shot. It was the most ugly, ugly, atrocious game I've ever witnessed anywhere. And that includes old Big East games and any current or former game by Georgetown. Um, that, was, that was a miserable game. I, uh, I watched at a bar with a bunch of Syracuse alums, and we all sat there just wondering like what it was. But, you know, and my, my in-laws are all San Diego State grads, and, and they kind of razzed me afterwards about it saying, yeah, well, like, you know, we're a three-point shooting team and we couldn't shoot threes. I said, well, like, who told you to, A, schedule a game as a three-point shooting team outdoors, and, B, who told you to keep shooting threes when you saw they weren't falling? Like, like I, I, Syracuse didn't force you to do that. You chose not to do that. Like, you could have you, you easily just driven the paint the entire game and you probably would have beaten us. Yeah, that was not the uh, the greatest showcase of offensive uh, ingenuity I'm really uh, by that, any means. I'm glad those games went away. I, I think like, everyone kind of realized like that they were they were a nice idea in theory, and that was that's where kind of they kind of stopped. Yeah, I mean, when you had what like two or three get canceled mid game, and then the other ones just be generally bad. Like, was there any of that? Did any aircraft carrier game ever actually like end up being like good and fun and work? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe one, but I can't remember it. <laughs> And then ten years, like I want to write an article about that, like the the aircraft carrier <laughs> game era. <laughs> but look at this stupid shit we tried for a while. <laughs> for like three years, I'm not sure why. <laughs> Constantly, done. you know what though? Like, I don't want that to take away from like what you can do in a baseball stadium. Like, no, I don't. I don't mind that, and I, I think the stuff that they did in like what uh, there were some like military based teams overseas, like that's all cool. Yeah. Um, just the aircraft carrier was dumb because the floor got like wet, and that's not healthy. Floor got wet. It's a boat. So it could move. There are it's winds kind of everywhere. It's open air, so there's a lot of... It's like legitimately the windiest possible scenario in a game that's designed to be played indoors. Yeah, all just all, all sound miserable. Hmm. Let's see. How much time do we have till halftime? A little they should bit. Play a, they, should play a, they should play a game in New York City at Rucker Park. Please do. That'd, That'd be awesome. I'm shocked they haven't done that yet. I mean, it, I wouldn't say like the ticket situation would be like because I've like been over there. Like there are not very many seats, um, but it wouldn't be any different than the aircraft area. There were no seats there anyway, either. Yeah, so like, what, like three thousand? I mean, you wouldn't be able to I would, a Rucker, but no. I mean, you'd have people like watching from like the overpass over by like the Bridge to the Bronx, which would be, would be something. Um, I think that'd be awesome. I'm, I'm in for that. Problem is, they I, wouldn't put us in that game unless we called it like the Pearl Classic or something, and then like forcing. Oh, that'd be to so play cool. But the the thing is, St. John's would be like, "Oh, we're gonna play here, and then we're gonna play UConn here." I mean, we could. I mean, well, we could bully St. John's out of that. Like, <laughs> we've we've proven that 
that no one cares. Uh, yeah, we'll schedule like like Fordham or something. Oh boy, that'd be fun. Or LIU Brooklyn, and <laughs> dad, that damn would that damn would stare the hell out of me. Um, no, that'd be so much fun. We should we should think of alternate uh, alternate like non aircraft carrier. I think we've actually done that before. Um, <laughs> locations for games. I feel like didn't I? I feel like I, I think you might have. I wrote. I think I wrote that article like three or four years ago. Where like when the aircraft carrier game was coming. Yeah, it was like really, and I came up with like you know it was just another one of those like you know classic kind of noons posts of like playing in space and all this other crap. Oh. <laughs> uh. Fun enough. Um, okay. Why don't we go a little early halftime? That way we can kind of focus in on the football schedule and uh, signing day for the rest of the time. Cool. So, uh, Dan, what have you been drinking? Uh, not a lot of unique stuff this week. Um, had some Stulpin, had some kind of just general boring stuff this week. Uh, hopefully a little more uh, exciting things to come. Um, I still have one. Uh, heady topper in my fridge that was going to be saved for a potential Packers Super Bowl, which is no longer the case, and I'm not going to save it for next year, so I will consume that at some point. Um, but yeah, mostly just the Stulpin in terms of, like, good stuff. Uh, otherwise, it was pretty, uh, pretty standard. I had, like, we actually checked out some, like, other bars around here that weren't, bur- that weren't, uh, beer-centric. Like, there was a, there's a new, uh, we have, like, a new bourbon bar that opened up. We have a new, uh, cocktail bar that opened up, so we went, we went that route this weekend. So, not as much beer, uh, but obviously that is my, my safe and comfortable zone. So probably returning to that more this weekend. All good. All good. Um, okay. Things that I was drinking. I tried quite a bit of things. Uh, finally tried out that, uh, Stone Ripper Pale Ale. Um, it was on tap at a new spot by me. Uh, it was pretty good. Definitely didn't, uh, hate that one. What I really liked, it's probably my favorite beer of the week, um, Hoppy Table Beer. I don't know if you've seen it from Allagash around, but I would highly recommend this one. It's a, it's a Pater's beer. It's a kind of a Belgian-style table beer. It's 5%, but like super dry hopped. Uh, really, really nice drink. Um, I would highly, highly recommend. I had it on tap a couple times and then grabbed a, a four-pack of it while I was out the other day. I haven't seen it. I, 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 I might have seen it. I have not had it, I don't think. But I've heard of it. You should definitely have it. It is, is quite cool. I'm sure I'll be able to find it. Yeah. Um, let's see. I swung over to Abigail Brewery over in Hermosa and had Pleasure Pale Ale and Hops on Hops, double IPA. Uh, went down to the brewery quick to pick up a couple things and grabbed a couple of tasters while I was down there. So I had uh, Southern Aroma Keller Pills. Uh, that was nice and refreshing. And then Befuddlement. Kind of a boysenberry wild ale that uh, was very good. No, boysenberry wild ale aged in bourbon barrels. So yeah, uh, tried out Ballast Points Manta Ray, their uh, their new double IPA that they uh, that they created. Opened up my uh, bottle of Monkish Lost Cat. It was a raspberry, uh, what was it, raspberry sour? Yeah. That was very, very good. Let's see. Had, had Kern Rivers uh, Hop Nucky Triple IPA. That was really good. Um, and then ended up swinging over to uh, LA Arts District Brewing um, over the weekend. I'd had a couple beers from them, but I'd never been to the uh, location before. 
So uh, it's a cool spot. It's right downtown. It's, uh, it's definitely not like the greatest area per se, but it's definitely one that's building up quite a bit. Um, so I had a Tune in Tokyo Pale Ale and their Traction IPA that I've had before. And then also stopped off at a German sausage place nearby for some uh, Spot and Optimator, which you can never really go wrong with if you're just looking to hang out and you know drink some nondescript beer. Indeed. Um, all right, why don't we talk a little uh, football schedule? Because I know that was something both you and I were uh, were anxiously anticipating, as were other folks who were trying to make tailgate plans or just looking to see what fate befell SU in the uh, ACC scheduling office. Yeah, um, it's a uh, it's an interesting one. I don't think it's like quite. I mean, it should be way worse uh, in terms of how it lays out, Could but, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, we have a late buy this year, which is nice compared to the, like, week two or week three nonsense, uh, I feel like they which skipped out good. on that for everybody now, though. Like, I feel Did like they change have, that? I feel like, I mean, I, at least for us, I mean, Pac-12 just decided to murder all of its teams this year, but, like, the ACC, I feel like nobody's had a had that early of a buy in a while i know we haven't in a few years this is actually the same place we had our buy last year wasn't it like a couple years ago we had a really early one was yeah, it the first year in the acc i think it was the first year in the acc we had a week two buy yeah that's the worst just miserable because it's pretty much useless but yeah i i mean i would have i would have been fine with maybe like a week i would have been okay with like either a buy excuse me, before Clemson, or a bye right after Clemson. Um, instead, we get the bye after the Miami game, and for some reason have back-to-back games in Florida with that week. Yeah. Off. So that's not great. Um, I think this whole stretch here, just like from LSU through um, Florida State, does kind of suck. And even if you wanted to, you know, write off, even if you wanted to write off the LSU State pit stretch, and the Clemson, uh, Florida State, and the, and the Miami, well, the, sorry, the Clemson, Miami, Florida State stretch is two different stretches. I think the, the second one is, is definitely not great. I know I joked about it on the uh, news handle that morning that we were going to face those three teams in, in succession. And while there is a bye separating uh, two games from the other, uh, it, it's, still not, it's still not a stretch that I'm going to count on us winning more than zero games. Yeah. <laughs> like maybe we can catch i don't know it, it's it's brutal i think part of it i mean lsu is is our fault right. um but like Everything the acc is pretty yeah. pretty good now <laughs> like there's there's no real avoid we, we unfortunately have miami this year um and it's stuck in the middle of everything else and and you know that's just gonna be you know it's it's luck of the draw up the coastal um and a lot of this is so bunched up that like there's not a huge difference between them and last year like, we had Vatek, who won the division, and we beat them, so you never quite know. Um, you know, Miami will be with a new quarterback and whatnot, but I, I don't expect it to be an easy game. But yeah, basically, like, we need to really do work to open the year, and we really need to do work to end the year, and it's it's, uh, it's going to be tough sledding to get to six wins. Of course, like, five wins is now increasingly, uh, it's increasingly likely that that gets you to a bowl, although we, we lost a, a bowl City off the total bowl. slate. RIP. Just not a great couple weeks for San Diego football fans. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I it's 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 a tough schedule. And it's also, you know, 
compounded by the fact that Middle Tennessee and Central Michigan are not like those aren't aren't games that we're guaranteed to win. Those I'm are, worried about MTSU though. I am too, um, but like neither Central of those teams is. A Central loses a lot, and we've beaten them recently, um, both like definitively and very not definitively. Um, but uh, both of those teams are like generally pretty game when it comes to playing uh, non-conference power fives, and like at, at, at worst, like neither is a walkover. Right. Uh, you need to show off for both those games. Well, the Blue the only game beat Mizzou last year, right? Uh, that sounds right, um, and they're just a solid team. Uh, well, they also play a same. They also play a similar style to us, which is probably what worries me the most. And uh, they now have defensive coordinator Scott Schaefer, who knows, which is a thing. At least half of our personnel. He has a personnel. Uh, he, does he does not know, know our offense. offense, right? Um, and we have the kind of offense that would uh, occasionally give Schaefer uh, fits, which is nice. Um, but True. yeah, it's it's. Uh, it's tough. Like the schedule with these teams was never going to be easy. Um, you basically have to start three and zero. You have to beat Wake. You have to beat BC and try to steal one elsewhere, like NC State, Pitt. The you know these the 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 teams that we always say we have to win. So um, at LSU is is brutal, especially now they have their coaching situation steadied. Um, they're going to have a nasty running game with uh, Darius Dice. Um, Pitt is who they are. They, they. I don't know if they'll take a step back without Matt Canada there, but they are a solid team. Clemson is not. I think Clemson will take a pretty big step back, but it's from national championship level, so it's not like they're going to fall into like the middle of the ACC. Florida State is a national championship contender. Miami is talented as hell. I don't know what they'll end up being. Louisville is, you know, sells Lamar Jackson. So it, it's it's rough. The ACC is quite good at football now, and that is the uh, reality here. Yeah, and I mean, luckily we picked the right time to change coaches, and I think that, you know, looking back, no matter what happens, no matter how long Babers is here, uh, I think we've kind of set a good path forward, um, and I think that, you know, if we decide to stick around with Scott Schaefer, we'd be, and this is no offense to Schaefer, I just think we'd very much be kind of stuck in a place where we, our, our distinct ceiling was five or six wins. Uh, it might be right now in the short term, but I, I think the long-term view uh, is definitely higher for SU uh, with Babers and with the system that Babers runs, even if he departs in two or three years. Um, I think BC is going... I mean, BC also knows how to schedule for themselves, but um, the Eagles definitely present the kind of opposite side of the coin of, you know, this is what happens if you... Like, like are the Eagles are right with six, maybe seven wins every year, but, like, I don't want to discount the wins because I'm advocating a similar style of scheduling for Syracuse, but if you look at the wins, like, their bowl game was arguably the best win they had all season. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like what what we always said about Rutgers, where Rutgers, they schedule themselves into relative success, especially from where they were. It just took them so long to actually start ramping things up that their their the success that they built under Shiano ended up just getting dismantled and now they have Washington on the slate and they have Miami in the future I think and they have like a couple other big games and now they're in the Big Ten. So this year actually Rutgers is probably one of the hardest schedules in the country all encompassing and they are in a full, full rebuild where if they had like been doing these incremental uh, ramp ups back when Shiano was still there and they were winning eight games ish a year, you know, they would maybe be going somewhere. But they're now back at ground zero with, like, they're now where, like, Syracuse is, where they're burying themselves with a schedule that they 
whereas like they got there differently because they they finally started adding some big games to the schedule versus where Syracuse just never got them off when they needed to. Um, so it, yeah, that's that's kind of where we've always been. Um, we'll see if things change with the new administration and the new coaching staff. We it's really kind of early to tell. Uh, but we haven't really scheduled any games. Yeah, have we scheduled any games aside from Middle Tennessee and Central um, since Wild Hack got here? Uh, well, Wild Hack, the second day Wild Hack was in the office, Middle Tennessee was on the books, but that was already in the works. Yeah, that had to have already been. Yeah, and then Army, come. same deal. That was like, I think, a month later. I forgot about the Army game. Yeah. So, so there and Army is a fine, that's a fine game to schedule. I know Army is better now, but like, you, you can schedule game. Army whenever. Yeah, it's a smart right. game to schedule because it, it, you know, whether you're on, at home or on the road, like, at home, it'll play to downstate fans without playing at Yankee Stadium or MetLife. I, like, uh, you know, I, I, homeward, like, you'll be able to, to pack the place out um, with the, the copious Army fans that are nearby and not so nearby um, in central New York. I mean, Army's a fine game, but, you know, and I wrote this a couple weeks ago, like, you look at what Kansas is doing, you look at what BC is doing, there's a lot of other schools really kind of creating better roadmaps. Even Rutgers, like they like you look at the the future looking stuff for them is like they have definitely they, they do have a better path forward than they do and they're in the middle of right now. But I think BC and Kansas in particular um, have done a really nice job, um, and Duke as well of just kind of you know fighting around their weight class and like when Duke fights above their weight class. Um, they pick a, a peer school, so it's well. They do play Alabama in a couple of years. Do they? Oh, <laughs> um, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, at the Georgia Dome for that's some reason. <laughs> that's the thing. Like, like, I'm sure, like, if Gross was still here, like, we'd be playing Bama, like, in Arlington, yeah, in, in front Arlington of, like, in front of fifty thousand Alabama fans and seven hundred and fifty eight Syracuse fans. Like, we're gonna play USC <laughs> in Japan. It's like, okay. <laughs> They've got to lock down the Tokyo market, so <laughs> he'd like he'd show up with like Tokyo's college team, and like he'd he'd write it out in like Japanese script, except it'd be wrong. Oh God! <laughs> like, like it's supposed to say Tokyo's college team, and it says it says like you know Tokyo's pool boy, and then he's just like, what? I mean, somebody looked it over, and we just we just didn't really double check it with anybody. <laughs> and then they get very pedantic when people made fun of them. They did. They did. Um, yeah, I mean, it's. I think the opposite end of the coin is like the whole Baylor thing, where uh, not not the not the Baylor thing that people always talk about. The Baylor thing where they the still haven't scheduled any good teams when they were supposed to be a national championship contender and ended up. They picked uh, Duke. Prob- they said, "Look what we did. Look, guys, we scheduled Duke." And they probably cost themselves at least one trip to the college ball playoff because of it. Yes. So good. Good on you, Baylor. Um, Although you still you still pissed me off because in the ESPN Bowl Mania thing, I did say that Boise State running over them was going to be the most likely result, and then it wasn't for some. Yeah, epic, I don't really know why that happened. Baylor made Baylor Baylor this year made no sense on the football field. Like that was just that was an impossible team to figure out because of everything. Um, it'll be interesting to see. That's like one of the most intriguing teams for next year, I think, with Matt Rule because. Uh, it seems like they're trying to keep, like, it's on the same offense, but they're still trying to be, like, a high-octane spread offensive team, which has not been what Rule is, like, trying to transition to at Temple, uh, although that's kind of the way he started. But, um, 
they should be better on defense and and it's like i mean it, it's such a big identity shift so i am interested to see what they do this year i'm interested in the big 12 next year to be very honest i just think and like it's easy to like overlook the big 12 a lot because just like okay texas and oklahoma and then like other teams do stuff but like Oklahoma State's probably a top 15 team next year. Oklahoma's like a top 10 team, and they've actually been sched- been uh, recruiting like a top 10 team of late. Which yep, is, they have a top six. They have the number six class, I think. They're yeah, recruiting really well. For them. And like Stoops was recruiting at like a top 25, 30 range um, as recently as like two years ago. And like just everything had kind of fallen off a little bit. And you saw that. You saw those results on the field. And he's obviously changed those things. OK State's not really recruiting at a level where they should be a top 15 talent, but. Uh, I think they're going to get there. I think Texas is probably a couple years off, but uh, I, I'd be very surprised if uh, if they don't hit the eight win or so mark this year, um, despite the youth and despite what needs to be a little bit of a talent reset. But then, like, you look up and down that league, like, I think Kansas is getting better, but I just think that they're stuck in a hole they can't get out of at this point because they can't really get Texas recruits or they can't really re- recruit against these schools um, unless they play an air raid style. So what else you got? So now they're going to have to go down to Florida, but they're not really scheduling Florida schools in the non-conference play. So how are you going to get in front of these kids? Um, Iowa State's being a little more realistic um, where they're they're going towards a spread and they're looking at, you know, Texas kids, but they're also looking around saying, how can we target kids that play in this sort of system or could, could play in this sort of system in the Midwest? Um, so I think Iowa State is, is another school with a high ceiling. I think Texas Tech doesn't know what the hell it wants to do because they're obviously going to stick to the system that they've been doing now for a decade plus. But at what point do you say Cliff Kingsbury is not the guy that can do it? I, I just think in general, and then Bill Snyder, you know, could just retire at a moment's notice. I, I think that um, I think that conference in general has a lot of interesting storylines bouncing around, um, even if the end result is still probably Oklahoma winning the league. Yeah, I mean, I think Oklahoma is just a little, like a solid tier better than everyone else right now. It doesn't mean that they're invincible because that defense is still very suspect. But with like Mayfield back next year, and um, you know they have a lot of other you know they have to rework without Dean Westbrook and without the running backs. But um, when you have a quarterback like that, it counts for a lot. The question is like this year they got totally run over by Ohio State, and that kind of knocked them out. Uh, obviously, and then they lost to Houston to, to open things up. But like the Ohio State game, just they. It never looked like they were quite in the same top tier as everyone else, and they now they go to Columbus next year, uh, which uh, early on again. Um, they're Oklahoma, lose they're lose they might, point. and I have no idea what Ohio State's going to be because they once again lose a lot of talent in the NFL, and uh, they you know clearly weren't quite what people thought they might be on, especially on offense down the stretch. So um, that's just like that's so tough. Now, if they win that game, then they're in really good shape because, you know, the Big 12, still, I don't think anyone's played up to that. Maybe Oklahoma State can take them out because Oklahoma State's always well-coached and get up for that game. Um, or, like, you know, face maybe top Oklahoma State does? Or? No, Oklahoma faces Tulane. They do? <laughs> <laughs> they do right after Ohio State. <laughs> uh, trap game. Let down Saturday. The, the wave is cresting over the peak. <laughs> Actually, this is an interesting... Well, not like... Also, you can... You can all drink for the Tulane mention of the podcast. Yeah. So, I mean, Tulane's not going to beat them, but you're in September. You've got UTEP. That's a win. At Ohio State, probable loss. Tulane, I'd say tougher game next year than this year. And then at Baylor, 
like a very, who knows what right and who knows but a very intriguing first four games for them especially Tulane running a different style of offense like this is going to be a very weird September for them. And then the rest of the way, like, their November is pretty brutal. Like, they're probably going to be 7-1 and one heading into November. I'd say probably. And that's, you know, that's, that's hedging a little bit. But, yeah, 7-1 and one heading into November. But at OK State, because for some reason they moved that game this year. Um, well, it's for the championship. It's because of the Big 12 championship. Oh, yeah, that's right. Stupid shit. Just really dumb. Super dumb. Super dumb. Please, please have those five-team divisions. I, I, I dare you. Or, or just add two teams. It's up that we've gone over this like a million times. Right. Um, We're not going to. But yeah, look at this. No. Like Kansas is, is, is a win, and that's a really nice gift from the league to hand them Kansas before West Virginia, who could be a legitimate like Big 12 title game contender there. But yeah, you, you look at this November, it, it's definitely tough. Um, and they do have, I think, two of the three toughest games on the schedule. The two of the three toughest Big 12 games on the schedule at home, which is some saving grace. Yeah, uh, I, I think they just need to not get totally demolished by Ohio State. Like, cause even if you lose, if you lose by a touchdown uh, in Columbus, like, that's not going to end everyone's world. You just can't lose by, like, 30 again. Yeah. If you get run over, then you have, you know, some room to play with. I still I still don't think they get out of this November schedule unscathed. It's quite possible. It's, I mean, are, the Big 12 just in general is, is kind of a, a tough one to escape. Like, Ohio, I mean, Oklahoma did it this year, but um, the problem was the non-conference, they come up, and then two years ago, obviously, they, they, they didn't quite do it, but they did enough. The Texas laws didn't totally dismantle them, but Clemson, they unfortunately ran into Clemson. Um... Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard, it's something that the whole college football, I think, next year is going to be super interesting because I, I think the national championship this year kind of took away from some of the Alabama mystique, and they, they lose a lot. So it no longer seems like they're this, like, inevitable thing, uh, at least until they, you know, rattle off 12 in a row again. Um, yeah, it, I'm, I'm very intrigued by it, basically the whole thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that as much as I was rooting against um... – Clemson in that game I uh I do admit that that you know like you said it, it does sort of hit a hard reset for what we think of this um of this time period like Alabama sorry like Alabama did seem like they were just ruining the sport in pretty much every every way possible but in a way that you also respected and now that Clemson beat them and Clemson's also not like if it was Ohio State or if it was Texas, or if it was USC or Florida State, it wouldn't be this kind of referendum on how things were going. But because it was Clemson, a school that's probably going to step back to be a 10-win team next year, um, it does kind of open the floodgates for you know college football to really be a little more of what we're used to, which is um, it might be the same teams every year, but you're not sure which of those same teams it's going to be. Um, so I, for one, am welcoming this uh, this new sort of atmosphere. I still think Alabama's probably your odds-on favorite to win it all, but um, could see a little bit of turnover um, at, at, the, at the top of conferences. Um, that might not necessarily be a good thing, if only because we could end up seeing our first kind of all blue blood, excuse me, um, playoff. If we're assuming, you know, either Michigan, Ohio State from the Big Ten, probably USC from the Pac-12. 
Florida State from the ACC, um, if Oklahoma can win the Big 12, Alabama, assumedly, from the SEC. Like, and I wrote about this probably a couple months ago now uh, over on the comeback, but it was talking about, you know, kind of, it, it, do people start losing interest when, you know, it, it, it's a bit of a blue blood um, bonanza in, instead of what we have seen, which is kind of, you know, three, three traditional powers and, and a bit of an interloper um, in the fourth spot uh, for the first three seasons of the playoff. Uh, I thought it was great to, like, see, and I mean, aside from our own, like, things with Clemson, I thought just in general it was nice to not have a blue blood win it um, because, like, college football sneakily, I, you, it might rotate um, more so than some other sports. But it's but the same teams. It's the same teams. Like, when was the last time a, not, a non-blue blood won? Like, it's, it's t- I mean, it depends on what your definition is, I guess. I mean, I put Clemson but, in, like, that second tier of blue bloods with Georgia and a bunch of others. Yeah, but they really hadn't done. I mean, they hadn't won a title since '81, so I I don't think they're in that true top tier. Like, you could put maybe argue like LSU, honestly, and even them, they're like pushing it. Oh, I've got, um, LSU, I've got LSU in that top tier. I think I now think, they are. I think but Oregon I think, is the only. Oregon came the closest before this win for Clemson. Yeah, I mean LSU. The only the argument is that before Saban got there, they really weren't great. Like they had the opportunity to be great and they had the resources, but they hadn't really like put it all together until Saban got there, and then obviously Miles kind of kept it rolling. Right. Um, but, like, outside of that... Florida and Florida State, when they showed up in the 90s, probably. Because they weren't yeah. at the time. Yeah, and even when Meyer took Florida back, I mean, well, like, right. it was I mean, like, the original title. Yeah. So, it's just not... There, there aren't a lot of interlopers in college football. Um, I think in terms of, like, what the sport... What's good for the sport in terms of ratings, like, Clemson, Alabama, I think part of that... It, it it did better ratings than, than last year in terms of like the uh, the playoff overall um, compared to the, the disaster that was last season. But uh, I think having two teams from the southeast and Clemson, while being a nice story for those of us who follow it, um, wasn't like a huge ratings draw because they're not like one of those big names. I think ideally, if you were to ask the people in charge of college football, they would want uh, an SEC team. And then and a Big Ten team like an Alabama Ohio State final will always do well because you're drawing because like Michigan fans are going to tune in to see if the Ohio State loses uh, the SEC always tunes in no matter what um, because they have their whole conference unity thing going on and just because they're all fanatical about it um, that's where you've got like the, the maximum draw I, I don't think Alabama Clemson um, while they're not like next to each other was really the the great uh, it wasn't a great combo I don't think. No. And to be honest, as much as I, you know, definitely agree about, like, what USC is when they're good, um, I still think USC needs to have something up against them. Like, nobody watched USC-Nebraska because, admittedly, like, Nebraska had already kind of fallen off a little bit. And that Nebraska team also wasn't supposed to be that—what wasn't actually that good. But, like— USC, Penn State, everyone was there also because of Penn State because a large portion of the country wants to see Penn State lose. Um, USC, Texas was there because it was two monumental brands um, that people were generally intrigued by because there were a lot of characters on both sidelines and in both huddles that that excited people. Um, So yeah, I I think USC might not necessarily fall in the category of like would be a major draw no matter what if only because of that. They need... They need a juxtaposition that doesn't look like them. It's like a USC-Michigan. USC-Michigan would 
draw, if only because I feel like people dislike both for similar reasons. I think USC is kind of enough of its own thing. If they were to run the table, and I think they would, there would be a real strong like hype train behind them. They um, West because... Coast folks that I feel like don't watch the game as much as like I mean I do, but I don't necessarily think that the West Coast watches these games with the same kind of you know fervor that that others may. Yeah, I, I just think they're a big enough brand. Plus, I mean, this year they have the quarterback who is in a get all types of attention. So if they if they were to live up to the hype this year, and I, I think that they would get like the full support of the networks behind them, I think USC is one of those teams that would do really well because they would also be kind of like a resurgence story, which is always nice. Yeah, I could definitely see that. I, I think that uh, I think the USC is on the short list. Penn State's are probably on the list as much as I. Do, do not want them there under any circumstances. I mean, they're a big, they're a big brand. They have a million alumni everywhere. Same with Michigan, Ohio State. Those are probably the three big ones out of the Big Ten. Right. Oh well. Um, all right, Dan, you want to spend a couple minutes on some National Signing Day stuff before we? Sure. Uh, I know we kind of, we kind of veered a little bit on the scheduling talk, but uh, I think everyone's okay with it. So, uh, you should all know to. Uh, you should all have you know come to expect what happens when we discuss things like scheduling. Eventually, two lanes are going to come up, and then everything's just in the spin out of control. Yeah, two lane comes up, and that's really it. Um, yeah, so moving on to signing day, uh, we have a few guys, four in particular, already on campus, and that leaves right now at least um, eighteen remaining. Uh, for National Signing Day. That assumes that nobody flips away or flips to us. Um, there's a couple undecided guys who I know Ari broke them down in, in an article on Monday, I want to say, uh, talking about a couple guys that are still out there for us. Uh, but I think this is this should be the group. The only way that, uh, that this changes, at least from what I can tell, is uh, I'm not even going to try to pronounce his name. Melon Fonwu, the uh, the safety from Massachusetts, uh, who was getting some interest from Michigan suddenly, despite being like a low three star, um, he's the only guy who I could see as a potential flip. Um, that would suck because it's not a really a position that we can afford to lose anybody. Um, and if we're gonna lose anyone, not that I want any of these guys going anywhere, I'd much rather lose a wide receiver uh, when we have a decent amount of those. But safety is not a spot that I feel like we can really do without. Especially a guy who, yeah, is probably it's probably a two or three year build for him to turn into a really legit um, safety in this system. But he does seem like the type of guy who's going to put in the work to do it. So I'd much rather, again, we would much rather lose somebody at a position we already had quite a few people at than somebody at safety where we're we're already pretty thin even before you get into like the guys who have left in this recruiting class. Yeah, I mean, we have, we don't know that Michigan's offered, right? I think that was just like he got a phone call or had some preliminary interest. Uh, he didn't get offered. I know that, but it's some interest. I think he was going to visit. He said, he yeah, would probably still pick Syracuse if Michigan offered. So I mean, you can't really uh, you kind of have to say that because if Michigan doesn't offer, you can't just be like, well, uh, what up, guys? I'm still going to Michigan. <laughs> um. No, I mean, it doesn't. It's funny because, like, just in general, I feel like with T 
teams like Syracuse, there seems to be a lot less drama than there was like five years ago because all of this is so well covered now right. that there there just aren't that many surprises um, out like the the middle of college football. At the top, there's always you know when you have the four or five star kids, they are uh, way more in tune with like manufacturing the drama for themselves and and building up storylines. But like, I remember in like 2010, 2011. Like, you, you had a good idea of who was going where, but there was always, like, there were still kids that flew under the radar that the, the sites didn't know about, or the sites had limited information about and didn't realize there were offers out to. So there would always be, like, two or three surprises on signing day. And now I feel like the last couple of years, we really haven't had major ones. Like, maybe we, we lost, like, a kid to, what, FAU last year, which we didn't expect, and, well, like, something like that will happen. Like two weeks before. Right. So, like, there's, like, that thing, but there isn't, like... Uh, like I remember, I think the big one was like Dion Goggins, who got like late interest from USC, and like people just legitimately did not know where he was going, and it came down like to the wire, and he was upset. So it was like way late, and Syracuse landed him, and there were rumors that he was going to do like five different places. That really like doesn't seem to happen now. Like either a kid is going to make his decision, and you kind of know when it's going to be and who the schools are, um, or you know. He, he is who, you know, he's going here and, and there's not a lot of drama with it. Um, so it was almost like, it almost was more exciting back in the day when there was like, there was definitely like huge rabid interest in it, but it wasn't quite as fully well covered. There was only like the two sites before 24-7 popped up. And now it's almost like everyone just has everything kind of on lockdown. So like surprises are pretty minor and, you know, there there's only drama surrounding like the top, 10 or 20 kids on signing day who are deciding, but you still know, like, where they stand generally. Like, you know who's in the race. Well, it's I think it's, too, like, yeah, like you said, social media has changed things, too. Like, everyone, every player says who's in the race and is pretty clear about that. Um, you know, you have the fact that social media connects all these kids right away um, in a way that they weren't before, so they, they can all really talk pretty frequently and kind of stay in each other's heads, you know, exactly, like, you know, what they're thinking, and if, if one guy leaves, it usually could be followed by another two or three if folks were close or if they, you know, had hung around uh, the program for a while and, and then, you know, were from similar areas, whatever. Um, but yeah, I, I think that now too, like, unless you're, if you're a top program, there's always those chances for flips. But if you're in the middle, like if someone was going to flip your, your kids, they probably did it months ago. Um, I, I think that if you're in a Power 5 program in particular, that's true. I think there's probably still a little bit of worry among the top, like, you know, 5% of, like, the group of five schools. So I think, like, your your USF, your UCF, um, schools like maybe Memphis and Western Michigan until P.J. Fleck left, um, probably to a point San Diego and Boise, but not as much. Um, I think some of those schools, especially, like, the ones in the southeast, like, or in the ones in Texas in particular, like those are just the types of schools that like kind of have to hang on for dear life at the end. Because to be honest, like you were saying too, like all the top schools already have their plan. They have a B. They have plans A through D, ready, like ready and waiting. And chances are, plan A worked out for them ninety percent of the time. And then it just depends on how far down the list they had to go. And again, if they did have to go down that list, they probably locked in that option, you know, months back, um, and were able to wow them with the. Uh, with the various advantages of being at a uh, blue blood program. Yeah, I guess the only real worry is, uh, are, are you recruiting against Alabama on signing day? And if so, you're probably losing that kid because it feels like every signing day that Alabama is in it for like nine blue chip kids and they basically pull like a red wedding every year right. and <laughs> just sweep them. So um, like maybe they'll lose out on two. 
Uh, so, but you know, that's not a thing that Syracuse deals with very often. So we don't have to really worry about that. Too true. Although, admittedly, what, this what year... an unfortunate problem. <laughs> <laughs> if only. Mm. Look, you look at this year, though. I will say there are some big name offers from a bunch of kids. Um, I guess the one advantage for our biggest recruit, uh, Tommy DeVito. Uh, is that the big names that were interested in him all backed off as soon as he told them no thanks. Uh, the only, like, I think, excuse me, would be actively interested schools anymore in him would be kind of peer programs and, and schools that haven't really done much to differentiate themselves from us. So that's like your Maryland, your BC, Rutgers, Wake, those types of schools. Um, Jonathan Kingsley actually has a pretty impressive uh, like roster of schools interested in him. Were a lot of these, I mean, I don't know how closely you've followed him. Were a lot of these guys interested in him before he committed to us, or was that all afterward? Uh, I honestly don't remember. Let me look on 24-7, because they usually have a timeline of when this stuff happens. Yeah, like, he's um, got FSU, Vatek, Tennessee, South Carolina, UNC, Duke, NC State. It looks like pretty much all was, uh, the last thing on his 24-7 timeline was his commitment to SU, so... Interesting. Um, Pretty much all of this came in the spring. Like Syracuse was fairly early on him, but Tennessee offered him uh, the day before Syracuse did. NC State was uh, a month before that. Um, we were like his third Power Five offer. Uh, Florida State came in two days later. Um, so like they were hanging, they were in there for a while. I don't know how like actively they went after him or anything. Like they might have offered him, but then not really recruited him. But um, yeah, I mean he is definitely one of the better full lists. Uh, a lot of like good peer programs. Then you know Vatex, a solid recruiting school. South Carolina's recruited pretty well under Muschamp. Florida State's obviously one of the best, you know, programs in the country in terms of recruiting. Um, so, I mean, that's definitely a solid one, and it doesn't seem like there's any real uh, worry about him uh, making it. So that's good. Obviously, DeVito, uh, we've talked about, like, the quarterback's such a unique position in recruiting because, there are, A, you don't take that many. Um, it's not very frequent that a school will take even more than one. Uh, you'll see it if, if the depth is really not there, but generally when you're recruiting a big-time quarterback, you, you might want to not pick up more than one. I think Alabama's doing it this year, but it's even there. It's like uh, when, when, yeah, and when they flipped Matt Jones from Kentucky, um, there were, like, significant worries that their five-star kid to a tag of Iloa would actually flip. He didn't end up doing that, but um, it's that's a risk you always run because kids don't want I mean, they may say they want competition, but if you're a quarterback and you know, only one plays, they don't really want competition at all. That's why they transfer at such a high rate. Right. Uh, so with DeVito, um, the, the staff did a really good job identifying him before he blew up. Um, he was a, a kind of a known entity. I mean, he was a three-star kid. He wasn't like he was off the radar, but he wasn't like, you know, no one expected him to be finished, what, like second in the Elite 11, essentially, uh, which is what he did. Um and all these other big schools came through when he kind of batted them away and kept to his promise. So um, because schools tend to fill their quarterbacks very early now uh, because they're taking one, maybe two, um, it's it's hard to uh, – you can flip them, but it's – it's you if you're recruiting a quarterback, you usually get yours early. And uh, Syracuse landing DeVito back in, in April of last year was a, a big boon, um, even though they probably didn't – I doubt even like Babers knew he would uh, wind up being the commodity that he is now. Yeah, I'd have to agree. And you know, what, like looking over the list, because I I, uh, I have them all kind of up in a grid as uh, as me and Ari are sitting around, you know, kind of planning out coverage for next week. Um, 
the big thing I'm noticing is, and some other folks in the comments have hit on this, is that, I mean, there's some guys with some great offers. I mean, Darius Fagan, DeVito, Kingsley are all guys with, like, a bunch of big offers. Uh, Sherrod Johnson had a few bigger ones. Um, Curtis Harper had a few. But, like, other than that, like, what's going to define the Babers era is going to be how these kids outperform the kids with the same exact, you know, BC, half the Mac, and Temple offers. Like, how those same kids here outperform those expectations because of the system. Um, I think Babers has done a great job recruiting. Um, I think that the numbers show that. I think that a lot of these offers uh, both show that and might cover that up a little bit to say that these are some some great kids and some kids who really fit the system. Um, but, you know, for, for those who really need a little more proof, um, I, I think we're going to have to see how these kids perform. Because, again, like, as much as I believe that this is going to work out, if these kids perform to the same level as what the, you know, high Mac to low Big Ten ACC level that the guy Schaefer was bringing in, there's going to be questions from folks warranted or not. Yeah, I, I think at some point, like, we've just been kind of mired in, in this this spot of the college football world where, you know, you, there's there's this hard ceiling on where you're going to recruit. Now, there are, there are some coaches that manage to uh, pull some stuff and, and wind up getting classes that are a lot higher than, than what you'd expect. But generally speaking, like, if you're only winning uh, four to six games a year, um, you're going to be able to recruit at a certain level, especially at a school like Syracuse, which has no natural... Uh, recruiting base and has a lot of other challenges associated, associated with it. So I think based on what Babers has been handed and what the first season went like, like this is about what you can expect. I think it's kind of hit expectations. Um, I think, you know, the first time Babers wins eight games, that's when you need to uh, really the, the class after that, because you want a full re- recruiting cycle um, following the, the season, the big like blow up season or whatever. That's when, uh, you start like looking for a big um, jump in recruiting rankings. It's not. It, it's it's going to be. You know, you can show however much you want on film. You can show the Virginia Tech tape and and the and the uh, the side the locker room talk. Uh, uh, not not that kind. The the speech um, that was completely unintentional. Um, the locker room speech that went viral. That one. Um, you can. Like, that's all good, but at the end of the day, like, kids are going to take uh, notice of the record and going to bowl games and whatnot, so that's, like, a bar you need to clear. And, and we were talking about it last week, like, we think that that last Marone class would have been, like, the one that really took a big step forward, and obviously he left, and that was kind of after you had two bowl games, and you really had an identity being created with, with Hacker running the offense, and then it all just kind of d- d- disappeared, you know, late in the cycle, so it didn't uh, work out. Um Babers, you know, needs to kind of get that level of success, and then you have the in- inherent uh, identity built in and uh, cohesive coaching staff that uh, there's been very little turnover, and you have a lot of, now you have, like, the, the, the pieces in place. Um, so hopefully this year, uh, obviously we're talking about the hard schedule before, I don't know that we're going to jump to, like, six wins or something, but five wins and you sneak into a bowl uh, is great. If you could get to six, that's awesome, and then, and you know, maybe pull off another nice Virginia Tech-type win, uh, then, you know, you have something rolling. Um, and then that's when people start, t- start taking notice of, of the program. I couldn't agree more. Uh, I think that's a good place for us to end. Um, 
Dan and I always manage to talk about football more than basketball, even during basketball season. Maybe if the basketball team improved a little bit, we would change that. Well, after signing day, like there's only so much you can talk about with football. So you'd be those, surprised. That, that's true. <laughs> We've managed that uh, before. We did talk about Oklahoma for like 25 minutes today for absolutely no reason. <laughs> um, for literally just not planned, just happened. Um, but I mean, after signing day, there's there's we have to like force ourselves to do it where there's like a natural talking point built in here. Um, but obviously, next week will be very signing day focused. I think. Agreed, agreed. Um, we also have a basketball game that day, which is going to make things challenging on the site. Do we? we what do. are we playing? NC State. Ugh. Yeah. It's not even like a good basketball game. Like, it's just going to be like no one's going to care and everyone's going to be talking about signing day. What time is that game? That's going to be a mess. Seven? Probably. Oh, uh, so. So we'll be coming fresh off the basketball game plus signing day. Oh, that's going to be a show. Well, I'm probably waking up at four. My time. Oh, God. <laughs> Because, I have no idea. Because that's the only way this works for me. I mean, Ari's going to help me out in the morning stuff, but at the same time, like, I don't know. Like, somebody's got to man the Twitter feed and crap like that. Get get to pre-writing, John. Oh, we already have... We, we have a grid with every piece of information you could want, every huddle video, every Twitter feed, all their commitment stories that we wrote. I've been there. I remember I remember taking on the, the, the duties of... Noon's recruiting person uh, on signing day. It was lots of early wake up and just writing and hoping that you guessed who was going to get the 6 a.m. Uh, faxes in uh, and probably being wrong. <laughs> yeah. That's why, again, that's why we're gonna just going to pre-write absolutely everything and then we're just going to sit there and just everything in drafts and then just hit publish when we need to. I am I'm very much looking forward to it because it's kind of a... To me, it's a reset on the calendar. It uh, shows the new season's going to start no time soon, but at least the new season is like kind of upon us. Um, I feel like I get to turn the page on those things, and I get to start looking forward to next season, even if it's very far off. Um, I know once signing day wraps up, I'll have uh, positional previews for spring practice ready to go. Um, opponent previews will start after spring practice wraps up. And then before you know it, we're, uh, we're in summer previews again, and it's almost college football season. Oh boy! Trust me to, to to rush us through about five months of our lives here. <laughs> and uh, I I I'm I'm still like I don't know. I'll be definitely hankering for college football in like a month. Like I'll be I'll be ready for it to be back. And then we have the long the longest off season. Well, I think Bill Connolly's uh, previews start in like ten days. Yeah, and I didn't even get through all of the top hundred games yet. So I have, I have we have some stuff. On that note, um, Dan, thank you as always for joining. Much appreciated. Yes, look forward to next week. Indeed, indeed. Get, get the new class of <laughs> that will rebuild the Syracuse program, uh, of course. Welcome, Orange Youth. Um, that was Dan. I'm John. Thank you, everyone, for listening to Troy Noon's An Absolute Podcast. Uh, you can rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, on Blog Talk, on whatever other service you may listen to us on, and uh, go Orange. Go Orange. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.
Up to 70% off. That's right, at Court Furniture Clearance Center. Get up to 70% off new retail prices and choose from a wide variety of previously leased furniture and decor for your home or office. Sofas from $199.99, bedroom sets from $399.99, dining sets from $299.99, and more. All items are court certified, guaranteed, and in stock, ready for delivery or to take home today. Make the smart choice and visit one of our five locations in the DMV or go online at courtclearancefurniture.com. Mention Radio 20 and get 20% off.